Turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter 91. want to let you know we're excited to have you guys, whether you are in person or you are uh, online. We're excited to have you guys. When you came in today, as I always tell you, we, you received a bulletin. Inside that bulletin is a connect card like this. Uh, if you will, if you're visiting with us, man, please take the time to fill that out. We want to be able to love on you. Uh, if it's your first time here, we've got a free gift for you. So out at the Next Steps table, and you walk through the door, you'll hear us reference the Next Steps table a lot. To our left uh, is a, uh, are, are some gifts for you. So we would love for you to pick up a gift from our Next Steps table and... Uh, and, and, and fill out this Connect card. If you will, drop it in the offering bucket as you leave. Today, if you're online, uh, you can text the phrase North Connect to 31996, uh, and you'll be directed to a mobile Connect card or a digital Connect card or online on the interweb, all right? Uh, and you can fill that out as well. So uh, we just wanted to let you know that we are excited, as Will alluded to. We are very, very excited. As soon as we get done here, we are headed to Leicester. Uh, headed to Leicester, and we are going to have a creek baptism. We are so excited about that. Uh, that was the first baptism we ever had as a church was in the Elk River, and so we are doing that again. So the Ellises have opened up uh, their property there. It lays out great. I hope you've come ready to go there after after we're done here. Uh, they've got uh, a great little place that lays out really well. We're going to grill some hot dogs. We'll have just an open-air fellowship, uh, just a hangout time. We don't get to do that a lot in this season, and so we're going to take advantage of that. And we've got three people that are following the Lord in obedience through baptism. So we are really, really excited about how God's going to use that time. And then come prepared to hang out. Uh, bring your lawn chairs with you and, and let your kids wear their swimsuits. And mine will be in the, in the creek, I can assure you. And I've been told that we have not seen any poisonous snakes ever around the creek. All right, so, so there's that. So maybe this Sunday, but not so far, okay? Uh, but we are really excited about that. We appreciate the Ellis has opened up their home for that, and, and, and we are, we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, and hope you are as well. But in Psalms chapter 91, we've been in, this is the third of our three-week series in the sermon series entitled Safe. We live in crazy times where safety is not always immediately recognized in our lives. We live in a tumultuous times where uh, political unrest and sociological unrest and civic unrest and, and all, of these, all of these things, the, the medical dynamic to it, right? All, all of these things that are going on around us. How is it that we as believers can understand our security that we have in Christ Jesus. And so the first week we talked about God's power over the storm. And so if you're, if you're here today and you, you weren't a part of that service, basically here's what we arrived at. Because God is all-powerful, He is almighty, He is El Shaddai, because God is most high, meaning He is El Elyon, He is the God who is above everything, there's a reason why we go through everything that we go through. If you have a relationship with Christ in this room, there is a reason why you are going through the trials and the tribulations that you are going through. Uh, and, and God has a purpose for it. It's not a matter of God's capability of allowing you to avoid the storm. It's 
every bit in God's willingness to do so. So there's a reason why we go through what we're going through. And so that brings us to a place of peace. We can have peace in a world that is crazy, in a world that is anything but peaceful. We can have peace through what is given us in Christ. And again, it's not that nothing bad will ever happen to us. That was the promise of the Old Testament. That was the precept of the Old Testament. That if you will serve the Lord, if you will find your refuge in Him, then no evil will come near your tent. And that was a physical blessing. But in the New Testament, we experience a fulfillment of that in Jesus. That then it becomes not just a physical blessing, but a spiritual blessing. And so we can have peace. Why? Ultimately, because we're not from here. Right? Our hope's not found here. It's found through a relationship with Christ. It's found in eternity. And so today we're going to look at the last few verses of Psalms 91 as we look at God's protection through the storm. It's incredible to me to think that a God as infinite as the God that we serve is active in watching over each and every one of us. That should blow our minds. And we understand that theological truth, but do we understand the implications of that for today? And so we're going to look at that. So firstly, I want to look at the guard. We begin in Psalms 91, verse 11. Psalm 91, verse 11. Let's look at the guard. This is what it says. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. God bless your word. Use it. God, do what only your word can do. God, every other book in the world can inform us. But your word is unique in that it provides transformation for our heart and our soul. So transform us today through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. He will command his angels concerning you. The first thing we see here when we look at the guard, we understand that God is has enlisted the heavenly host in our protection. Now, that has kind of played itself out culturally to be your guardian angel, right? Everybody kind of recognizes, we, we've got a guardian angel. Now, you know, oh, we almost had a wreck today. Well, our guardian angel is working overtime, you know, and everybody has a guardian angel. According to Scripture, this is not exactly how God employs the angels. He commands all of his angels concerning all of us, right? I said in the first service, Will doesn't have a guardian angel. Jeremiah doesn't have a guardian angel. Why? Because they quit real quick. No, I'm just kidding. But we don't have individual guardian angels. But in fact, the entire host of heaven has been employed to protect us. Now again, in the Old Testament, that was physical protection. And there is a physical aspect to it in the New Testament as well. But... There is a spiritual connection. The angels are employed to minister on our behalf. This is the point in your notes. Those that love the king receive the protection of the kingdom. Those that love the king receive the protection of the kingdom. And now the first question that I have is, 
Why use the angels? We serve an infinite God. We serve a powerful God. It's certainly not in his ability to meet all of our needs, right? He, he can absolutely supply every one of our needs and look after every one of us. He is a refuge and he is a shelter for us. This is truth found in Scripture, found in God's Word. And so why employ the angels? I believe it speaks to the lavish love that God has for us, that he is going out of his way, that he is, he is proving to us his watch care over us, not just by providing himself, which would have been enough, but even the entirety of the, of the angelic forces of heaven have been employed for me and for you. You see, I believe we misinterpret the idea of angels in our culture today, in our churches today. I believe we, we miss it. I want to read this to you. This is Hebrews chapter 1. You can turn there if you'd like. Um, but I believe that angels are, are misinterpreted. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13. If you're taking notes, write this reference down. This, this sheds some light on some things here. Listen to what it says in verse 13 of Hebrews 1. And to which of the angels has he, being God, ever said... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Bible drill question. Who is he talking about there? Sunday school answer is? I heard it. Jesus. That's right. Jesus. He's talking specifically about Jesus. Now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is waiting at his right hand until God makes the enemies of God his footstool to be trampled over. But listen to what it says in verse 14. Are they not, being the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit Salvation? Are these angels not ministering spirits that are meant to guard and to look after those that would inherit salvation? So in the Old Testament, it was Israel. They were to overlook and guard Israel. And for now, for today, it is the church. It is those who believe. It is the believers that would inherit eternal life that the angels minister. But we go to funeral after funeral, viewing after viewing... And we hear something like, heaven has gained another angel today. Now, I would not use your theology to smack someone across the face with when they're in the middle of grieving a loved one. Okay? So I don't recommend, well, actually, ma'am, they're not angels. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Okay? But you need to understand that for us to say that a loved one that died... With a, with a relationship with Christ, is an angel is selling far short what they actually have in Jesus. We are selling them short. What did, what did Hebrews 1 say? They are just ministering spirits. God created angels to serve. He created them with the purpose of serving. They are to attend to the needs and the good pleasure of God, which typically means our good, right? And so they are employed to minister and watch care over us. They were created to serve. But what did God say about man? Let us make man in our own image. So in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We as people 
as mankind, we're not created just to serve God alone. Now, we are servants of God, and there is a part of being a child of God that we are duty-bound to the gospel to serve the Lord. But we are more than that. God has called us to be sons and daughters. We are not built to serve God. That is not the purpose why we were created. We were created for relationship with God. It's why He made us in His own image. In fact, the writer of the New Testament would say that I, the angels long to understand the idea of salvation. God has given us access to himself that even the angels don't understand. So don't sell a loved one short. They are far, receiving far greater than angel status, right? They are, they are not Clarence working to gain their wings, right? They are, they are sons and daughters. Uh, Romans 8 tells us Jesus rules, right? The, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus is ruling. He's at the right hand of power of God. He is ruling in heaven. Jesus rules, but the angels serve. But it doesn't stop there because Romans 8, go back and read it. Romans 8, we get to rule with Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus. That is mind-blowing. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We are not, we have not been given a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear that we would, but we've been given a, a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters that we can come to our Abba Father, we can come to our Daddy and know that we have an audience with Him. Why? Because we are joint heirs with Jesus. This is huge. And then ultimately we see in verse 13, we see an amazing prophetic word. It says that you will tread on the lion and the adder, the lion and the, the serpent, right? The lion and the snake. He's, he's using some poetic prose and he's, he's, he's really restating the exact same animal, I believe. And so the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Why do we have all this? Why can we? Why are the angels given to minister to us? Why are we not part of the heavenly host when we die? Right? We would think, right? The the, the prodigal son, right? God, I'm not even father. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Let me be one of your servants. But no, he throws a feast and he invites him because his son was lost and now he's found. And so, and so, why is that? possible to us. I believe we find it in verse 13. I believe there is a sense in which there was physical protection for the people of God, for Israel, because they were his covenant people and because they clung to him and found their refuge in him when they did. But I believe this speaks to something far greater. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a lion, right? He's the king of the jungle. He is the, the apex predator. And he is walking around seeking whom he may devour. What is the message of verse 13? You will tread on the lion. In Genesis 3, verse 15, we have what's called in Latin the Proto-Evangelium. It is the gospel before the gospel. So before Jesus was ever, around, was ever around, there was message of the gospel. When God was handing out the penalties 
for Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. He said there of the serpent and the woman that the seed of woman would crush the head of the snake and the snake would, would, would bite the head, the, the heel of the man. Right? The seed of woman. Now, in Hebrew culture, the seed is passed down from the man. The lineage, the family goes through the man. But in all of Hebrew history, there is only one person who was not born of the seed of man. It was the seed of woman and the seed of God to, create, to, to be Christ in the flesh. So what was he saying there? He was saying that this serpent, this sim- symbol of, of Satan, right, would the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent, proving that he had victory over the serpent. This is not just biology. This is theology, that Jesus Christ would completely undo and demolish the work of the enemy. And so even though there's a near fulfillment that fits, there's a far fulfillment in this as well, that you will tread on the lion and the adder. I believe it's talking ultimately about Jesus, that he will do these things, and it's not just, it doesn't just stop with him. The New Testament application of that, Romans 16 verse 20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Because Christ has defeated the lion for us. Because God has, because Jesus has crushed the serpent for us, we tread on lions and serpents because he has given us the victory. Church, we have been guarded. So secondly, let's look at the guarded. Let's look at us, what that means for those that are under the protection of Christ. Psalms 91 verse 14. Because he holds fast, the word there is cling. It's the same word that used a husband and a wife are to cling together. The intimacy of a man and a woman in marriage to cling together. It's the same word because he holds fast, because he clings to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. We got any English whizzes in here? Maybe at home? Did you catch it? Did you catch the change here in this scripture? The entire chapter of Psalms 91 is said in third person. God will do this. God has afforded this. That if you will do that. It's third, third person. It is disconnected from the whole thing. What we see in verse 14 through the end of the chapter, the next three verses, we see first person God here. He goes from talking about what all God will do and all these precepts, and he goes into conversation with God above. The person, the the tone shifts. No longer are we talking about God. Now God is talking to us. And listen what he says. If you will hold fast, if you will cling to me, if you will Hold on to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Personal pronouns. This is God speaking directly through the psalmist. 
And the first thing he tells us is that our commitment to God is not out of obligation. If our, if our commitment to God is to be maintained, it's not going to be maintained out of obligation. It will be maintained out of affection. Sometimes there is nothing in the world more exhausting than spiritual work, than church work, than kingdom work. It is, can be draining, it can be exhausting, it can be exasperating, it can be frustrating. Sometimes that's kingdom work. And if we are mustering our behavior and our responses and the things that we do and say according to because God says we should do it, out of obligation, your tenure to be a committed follower of Christ is going to be limited. In fact, I would make the argument that you've never followed Jesus. We have people that because they want to inherit eternal life, they want salvation, they miss the fact that it doesn't begin with the rules and regulations. It begins with relationships. And so it's not out of obligation that we serve. I learned this lesson just recently. I'm one of those guys. I'm a leader that I want to do everything. I want to be a part of everything. I want to be there for everything. And I'm learning I can't do that all the time. Uh, But there were things, things like what I was doing here at the church. And I didn't mind doing it. It wasn't like I was grumbling, walking, coming up here and doing some of those things. But it was just things that I was taking care of. Well, I got in our men's Bible study a couple weeks ago. And by the way, if you're not a part of that, we have a women's Bible study that meets tonight. uh, And then a men's Bible study that will meet next week. And they meet on alternate Sunday. So every other week for the men's and women's Bible study. You can get more information about that at the next steps if you need to. Uh, but I was, I was in that men's study, and the men there started telling me all the things that they wanted to take off my plate. And now, at first, I was like, well, well hang on. Like, I want to be that leader. I want to be that servant leader. Like, I want to I lead out front in service and all those sorts of things. But I realized something really quickly. I didn't want to obligate somebody for a task. I didn't want to obligate them. When we get into a warm body mentality of how to meet needs in our church, we are immediately trying, playing a game of running out the clock. We are, we, it is not going to stand the test of time. And so, but what I realized is, in that moment, I wasn't obligating them. It was out of the affection for what God has done, for what God is doing in their own life, for what he's doing in our community and for the kingdom in this area, it was out of their affection that they wanted to do it. So there's lasting power there. Why? Because they began with love. If they will cling to me in love, I will deliver him and I will protect him. Fear of God can only teach religion. Remember the story of Jonah? I, I preached it some time back uh, in the, that series while you know the world was crashing around, <laughs> down around us. Um, we preached a series through Jonah, Andy, John, Heath, and myself. And in that, I, I always kind of just thought that Jonah had experienced a revival in the belly of the fish. Mostly because chapter 4 made me uncomfortable. And so Jonah experienced a revival in the fish. Praise the Lord, Nineveh comes to Jesus, we're done. That's not where the story ends. 
Why? Because the message wasn't to the Ninevites. The message that Jonah was delivering was to the Israelites. Jonah had a major issue with what God was going to do. And chapter 4 is all about Jonah shaking his fist at God, saying, God, how dare you respond in love and mercy? In fact, he says, I knew you would do it. I knew you would do what you always do. The man that had just been rescued from the belly of a whale, of a fish, says, I knew that you would do it. I knew that you would have mercy. And it'd be better if I'd have just died. Just kill me now. Why? He picked up religion in the belly of the fish. Fear of God will lead to religion. I don't want hell. So I'll do whatever I need to do to get by. But it is only experiencing the love of God that teaches us relationship. This is where it begins. Not out of obligation, not out of rule, not out of ritual, but out of relationship. Cling to Him in love. This world... So, so here's, here's the point. Devotion precedes defense. We want God to come to our defense and rescue us, but have we ever thought maybe God is using the storms to allow us to, to create within us a devotion for and to Him? Devotion and affection precedes God's protection. You see, most Christians treat God as if He's our last hope. He's our last hope. But He's not. Christ has always and forever been our only hope. He's it. He's the only hope. And I don't care how, to what level you think you've got things taken care of right now. He is your only hope, whether you recognize it or not. He's your only hope. Would you cling to Him in love? Because this infinite God interrupted all of what He was doing. He came down in His sovereignty. He came down and He sacrificed His Son for me and for you. This is the story of the gospel. We are the guarded because we have been invited in. Again, first person. We've been invited in to commune with God above. Let's look finally at the guardian. This incredible protection. We've got to know some more about the God that is protecting us. We've got to know more about the guardian. Psalms 91, verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's a phrase in there that I balk against. Can I just be honest with you? It's found in verse 15. I will be with him in trouble. Now, I don't know about you. If I had my rathers, some lick skillet thinking here in terminology, if I had my rathers, I'd just assume not go through it. Bypass the issue, right? Like when we're, I'm driving, driving home, 
from the beach, ready to get home on 65. I'd just rather, Siri, just tell me the way around the problems, right? Just navigate around them bad boys. I just assume not go through anything. But he doesn't say, I'm going to be, I'm going to rescue them from trouble. He says, I will be with him. You see, God didn't save Daniel from the lion's den. He didn't save him from it. Daniel experienced the lion's den. But what God did was he rescued him through it. His friends, years later, God didn't rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. They went through it. But he was the fourth man with them. The New Testament equivalent, speaking of eternal truth and truth that is not seen, Stephen was not rescued from the physical stoning. But he was allowed to see the reward that was coming to him through it. And lastly, and most importantly, church, Jesus was not rescued from the cross. In fact, he purchased my rescue through it. Got a friend of mine who has a lot of cool props, obviously. Uh, he is also the same friend that I had uh, the sword from a while back. Uh, so I knew he'd have one of these for me. What have I got in my hands? A shield, right? A shield. Matter of fact, in Psalms 91 verse 4, it says that the Lord, I will say of the Lord, He is my shield and my buckler, right? He is the shield and He is the entire, my entire defense. The, the armor and whatever I used was the buckler. And, and so it says that He is our shield. But if I were to take this shield into battle, if this were a legit shield and I was taking it into battle, I would never expect this shield to rescue me from a war. Oh, Alan's showed up with a shield. We're out. We're not, we don't want no part of him. He's got a shield. The shield is not going to rescue me from battle. But you know this about any warrior. Their defense is the most important thing to them. Why? Because it's what preserves their life. And so they cling to their sword, a, a cling to their shield. And so the, the shield presupposes conflict in our life. It begins there. You don't have a shield unless you're expecting conflict. For Jesus, for God to be our shield means that conflict is coming. But what it means is we have hope through the conflict. Why do we have peace? Why do we recognize God's power? Because we see God's protection through the conflict. God is a shield. And so as much as we would rather just bypass the struggle altogether, that's not the nature of a shield. The nature of a shield is not that you will never go through difficulty, but you'll never go through it alone. You'll never go through it alone. 
So this is what we have in Christ. And I hope this stays standing up. This is what we have in Christ. I will be with him in trouble. Much of the time, we want God to move the storms in our life. But often, God is using the storm to move us. God, I want you to move this difficulty. I want you to move this hurt. And I want you to remove this heartache. And all through it, God is saying, I am your shield. It's time for you to move. Come to me. Find refuge in me. You see, all along, through all of this, this psalm is not a psalm of deliverance. For us, it's a psalm of dependence. God is teaching us to depend on Him instead of our own stockpile of resources. Depend on me. Can I tell you this, church? If Lindsay Lane North is to be anything for the kingdom of God, to be anything for God's glory, it's not going to come from our own resources, our own capabilities, our own innovations. It's not going to come from there. It's going to come from radical unprecedented surrender and dependence on Christ to meet all of our needs. Psalms 91 is a message of dependence. We need dependence more than anything else, church, whether you recognize it or not. We need dependence on Jesus. Stop doing things on your own and trusting in your own meager shelter. So we talked about last week. Stop, stop uh, focusing on the things that you can provide and the investments made in this life and start leaning in on the hope that's found in Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're the most important person in this room. From my understanding, you are unprotected, you are exposed, you are vulnerable to attack. Alan, what do I what do I do? Cling to him in love. We serve a God who loved us. And it wasn't just that he said, yeah, okay, I'll love you back. But God took the initiative and pursued us. This infinite God pursued you and he pursued me. And he, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with him, he's pursuing you right now. Begging you, asking you to come. Not because he knows that he needs you, but because you desperately need him. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ... I want to call you to respond today. We've got counselors that are here in this room, in the front of the room. I want to call you to respond today. Maybe, maybe something I said stood out to you. Maybe, maybe you need to make the decision to commit your life to Jesus today. I would pray that you would do that. Maybe you want to join arms with Lindsay Lane North and what we're doing in this area. Maybe you need to join as a member and, and get some accountability behind just that attendance. And maybe you just need to, you need to link arms with us. These counselors would love to talk to you about that. Or maybe getting your baptism in order. As we're about to go do it here in just a moment. Maybe you need to get your baptism in order. Whatever it is that you need to do, whatever response you need to have to Jesus, I pray that you would do that in this moment. We would call for a response and we'd call for an immediate response. 
response. We're not going to tarry. We're not going to waste a lot of time. If you need to respond to Jesus, stand to your feet. Nobody's going to be looking around. Stand to your feet and respond today. Jesus, give us boldness. Give us strength. Wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, God, pray that we would press in to you, that as you woo us and you draw us, that we would respond to you in this moment.